0: Lord, we thank You for the treasure that Your Word is to us. We thank You that we don't come uh, alone to it. We come with the resource of Your Holy Spirit in us through Christ to open our eyes to these glorious truths, to show us Your very face, to teach us how to live, what it means to be called Your children, and what You've done for us, the, the, the height of Your love. All that that means. I pray now that you would come and move in power and work as I seek to, to bring these words to all of us together. May we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question I want to begin with this morning. The question is, why am I here today? Ever asked that question? Why am I here today? The answer is that there are ten thousand little moments that God, like fabric, has taken each strand and and woven together. It is the work of God. I want to give you just a, a glimpse into a bit of my own story. It was May 1944, just days before the invasion of Normandy was set to take place. My grandfather, William Ware, he was a Seabee in the Navy, and one of the assignments that the, the Navy Seabees were given was to hit the beach under the cover of darkness and work with engineers to strap explosives on all of the defenses so they could blow those things up, and then the landing forces could have clear landing zones where they could land and launch the attack from. My grandpa was Uh, had crossed the Atlantic. They were in the staging area. They were rehearsing. I don't think they had told everybody yet exactly what the mission was. And then all of a sudden, he felt a sharp pain. And it got worse and worse. He ended up in the hospital, and it turns out that his appendix ruptured, requiring surgery and a recovery time that took him off of active duty, where his unit on June 6th was the spearhead of the Normandy invasion. Riddled with loss. My grandfather, instead, was shipped, cleared. Uh, they had to clear the hospital beds to prepare for all the wounded that would be coming, and so they shipped him all the way home to Spokane, Washington, to the air base out there. He was from Macon, Georgia. He had never been to Washington. He had no clue about the Northwest. And here he found himself recovering in Spokane, Washington, as his unit hit the beaches of Normandy. He hit the basement of a Baptist church in Spokane, Washington, to pray. And as he prayed, he just so happened to catch the eye of a young, pretty lady named Ruth. Named Ruth. That's a perfect fit for our text. And so love began to unfold. My grandmother and my grandfather met for the first time. Now, had it not been for that appendix, I wouldn't be here. Isn't that amazing? Didn't think of that, did you? Fast forward a few years uh, to this place. The fall of 1994, my heart was set on Moody Bible Institute. In fact, I was so convinced that this is where I was going to go, I went hunting the day of the SATs. You know why? Because I didn't need to take the, AC, uh, the, the SATs. All I needed was the ACT because that's what Moody required. I skipped them entirely. I was so convinced that this was the school for me. I had yet to be accepted, but that didn't matter. And I didn't see a thing when I went hunting, which is par for the course. However, I applied in the fall of 1994. I applied in, on the application, which was extremely strict at that point. This school was um, highly desirable, and application process was very difficult. And I wrote and essays and all of these things. And one little question, how long do you anticipate attending Moody for? Are you planning to come for the full four-year degree or less? And I put, well, I'm, I'm, I'm planning just, I'll just do two years. You know, I need a good foundation for Bible education, but I don't really know what I'm going to do with that. Or, you know, at that point, I wasn't really sure about ministry and I certainly didn't think I was going to be a preacher. Um, so I put two years, sent it in. In January of 1995, I received a letter back. Application denied. You can't come to Moody. We're looking for four-year students. I was shell-shocked. What? What am I going to do? And we prayed. And suddenly, the Lord changed his will for my life. From two years, I immediately changed to four years. The Lord wants me in Chicago for four years. I'll be honest. I wasn't that excited about living in downtown Chicago for four, four years. But I said, Lord, it seems that this is what they're looking for. And if that's what you want, then I'll do four years. I reapplied and was accepted. Now, what I never knew was the, the process on that end. Somebody sitting up in the top of that building was going through uh, admission requests. And, uh, and they saw my, my two-year thing come in. And they said, no, we want four-year students. Then they saw me reapply. And they're like, oh, here comes this guy again. Yeah. Oh, four years. Really? Is that really? Weird? Somebody said, let's take him. Check. All it took, accepted. My life changed in that one check. I'll tell you why. Because I might not have gone into ministry had I not stayed for four years and fallen in love with the scriptures like I did. But even more so, if I'd have only gone for two years, I would have never met this lady who happened to come to Moody from Michigan the beginning of my third year. Isn't that cool? Happened to be on the partner dorm. The, the men's floor was paired with a, a women's dorm, and she was on the third floor. I was on the ninth. Somebody paired them together. I don't know who did that, but I do know who did that. God. And Then our eyes met, and we had our first date, September 13, 1997, a day that changed my life entirely. Our first date. The first time we talked for an extended period of time. We, we had exchanges. And this was, this was totally different than anyone else I'd dated. And all these years later, I'm here today. That's, that's incredible. Partly because God used Jenny's roots in Michigan to take me to Michigan where I got involved in a church. And they put me up in front and said, teach. And I said, I don't do that. They said, yeah, you do. And uh, I said, okay, apparently I do. And then I realized that I do teach and that there's something amazing here that God can do through me, me. (laughs) And then the call of God to ministry. All these little moments woven by God to be the fabric of my life. And that's why I'm here today. An appendix, a check on four years, a yes from a beautiful girl from Michigan, and on and on and on the story goes. So it just so happened, as my sermon title today, as we look into the book of Ruth, chapter 2, it just so happened. I love these words that we're going to find. Let's begin in the first few verses here. I want to read uh, verses 1 and 2. Uh, as we consider a worthy man. I changed the verses somewhat from what you have on your sermon notes, um, but just kind of follow along here on the screen and I think it'll make sense. We'll begin with a worthy man. Verse one. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain, after him in whose sight I, find, I shall find favor. And she said to her, "Go, my daughter. This exchange, just examine this a little bit. I'm going to come back to verse one, but I want to start with where, where Ruth and Naomi begin this day. This is just an ordinary day. Okay? We're back in Bethlehem. There's grain, there's barley, right? There's food available. And where do they wake up? We have no idea. Have they had any food yet? We don't know. But at least Ruth says, game on. I got to do something. We, I should go out and, and try to glean and get us some food. we, we were going to have to do something in order to, to survive. And so she makes this request to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean in whose sight I shall find favor. So there needs to be a favor given in order for this gleaning to take place. The response of Naomi is, go, my daughter, which is endearing, but begs the question, why does Naomi not go? Best we can tell, Naomi is in her mid-50s at this point. There is no mention of any physical restraints that would prevent her from going and at least, you know, gathering some of the food as well. In fact, it would make a ton of sense for her to go with Ruth because there would be, it seems, maybe more protection for Ruth, who's a Moabite in a foreign land. She knows nothing of this. Go, my daughter. It's not certain, but it seems plausible that there is a contrast in view that Naomi is still so overcome by the grief of what's taken place and settled in despair that she's, she's almost just paralyzed. She's so discouraged, so down. She's not even going out to get food. She's just staying put. And some find themselves there. Depression, discouragement, these things are almost immobilizing. One of the worst things you can do when you're in the place that Naomi is at is isolate, is stay in. Don't ever stay home from church because you're discouraged. Oh, you need to be together with the people of God when you're struggling. Don't ever stay in or pull away from people. Text somebody. Let them know you're hurting. Let them know you need their prayers and their help and their company. Go. Invite. But don't isolate and sit in despair. In contrast to this, I think you have faith in action here. Ruth is displaying a confidence in God's provision for her as she goes out with courage. I mean, this, this is no small thing. It's an ordinary day, but for Ruth, this is a first. I have no idea what I'm going to expect to find. Let's talk a little bit about gleaning just so that we have a, a context. Gleaning is something that God gave as a provision. It was a part of that civil law that he encouraged his people to obey and participate as his nation was in the promised land. And then they were raising crops and owning land. And this is, again, God's people that he brought out of the land of Egypt. They once were slaves and now they have their own land to work until. How are they to do this in a way that reflects who God is to the nation's? Well this is one command we find in Leviticus 23:22. He says this, "When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest." So don't gather the crops all the way to the edge of the field. Leave the border around your field unharvested totally. And don't go back when you finished harvesting to clean up what maybe you missed. Don't do a second wave through. Why? You shall leave them for the poor, for the sojourner. In another passage, he builds out this command, for the fatherless, for the widow, and the sojourner, those who are are strangers in your land, those who are coming from other nations, i.e., a Moabite widow. This is a complete fit for the situation that Naomi and Ruth find themselves in. God has given this permi- per, uh, provision for them, and then He He lands it with this statement, which gives us the the needed punch to this command. Do this, because I am the Lord your God. What's He saying? Well, one of the things He's saying is this is not negotiable. This is a command that you are to do. And base it upon who I am, God says. In a sense, he's saying, reflect my heart in the way that you care for and create opportunities for those who are in the margins. Those who are struggling. we would just add that there's some wisdom to be found here. This is not just a handout. It's not just a, a handout. This is an opportunity so it's a, it's a welfare work program. This is, uh, this is an invitation to those who are in need, uh, who are poor, who have uh, a situation that is uh, just beyond them, to come and work and find uh, a way to exist, a way to provide for themselves. So the landowner has a responsibility, but so does the person in need. I think it helps us understand wisely how we might think in our own day about helping those in need. It's good for people to have responsibility in helping to meet their own needs, and sometimes they need help in that as well. It's it's just wise, and it reflects the heart of God. Now, Ruth's uncertain day, here we have to step back and say, wait a second, What is the period of time which this is taking place? Well, it's the judges. It's the period of time when everyone did right in his own eyes, and there was no fear of God in the land. And so we know at least there was a season where the judgment of God fell with such severity that there was no food. He brought famine to judge the land and the people for their sin. Now we have food, but that might make it even harder if you're a landowner and you're coming out of a season of famine where you don't have food, and now you have a bountiful harvest, are you keen to obey that law about providing for the poor? You might, in, in your mind, say, I need every single grain in my storehouse in case this happens again. And so I know, Lord, you know, you told me to do this, but I, you don't, I mean, I can justify this because, it, I mean, It it could happen again. So who will be the landowner who fears the Lord and refuses then to to clear all of his property but to leave some for those in need and refuses to go back through it again and take all of it but leave some for those who God is seeking to provide for? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Look at verse 3. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. I love this phrase. And she happened to come. She she happened to come. Or as chance would have it, something like that. It's this, almost this laughable phrase that the narrator speaks. Because we know what he's doing. He is revealing the sovereign hand of God who is working behind the scenes often. But this language almost makes us think it was just random. It was just by chance. She happened to come upon the the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the clan of Elimelech. That's repeated for emphasis. We should be thinking here, okay, that's no small detail. He's of the clan of Elimelech. That's Naomi's husband who died. Maybe things are not as bleak as we once thought. Is this a chance encounter? Have you ever had a chance encounter? Ever? Nope. You haven't. Because chance doesn't exist. It is a non thing. There is no chance in the world where God rules. There's no randomness. There's no just, oh, whoa, hey, that was amazing. That, that just randomly happened. No. That's not how God rolls. It's not random chance that the appendix ruptured and he ended up in Spokane in the basement of a Baptist church. It's not random chance that I was accepted on my second attempt for four years and that three years I needed to meet my wife and experience God's stir to ministry. You've never had a chance encounter in your life. God's unseen hand is at work and He is writing the story of stories. This leads us to the first date of Boaz and Ruth. They don't know it, but this is their first date. We're about to see how it unfolds. Verse 4, And Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, "The Lord bless you." What an interesting thing. We learn a lot about Boaz. Let's just do a bit of a sketch of this man. What do we know so far? Number verse one, he, he is a relative of, of uh, Naomi's husband Elimelech, and he is described here as a worthy man. And it's hard to discern what specifically, is being pointed to, a man of renown or a well-respected man. Uh, certainly, he is a, a man of character, a, a man who stands out, a worthy man. He is a respected landowner. We're going to see this in the coming verses. A relative of Elimelech, which is no small thing. And I might just add this detail in by way of some larger context. He happens to be the son of of what I would suggest is Salmon and Rahab. Wow. Most believe that Salmon was the other spy that went into the land and was uh, with Caleb when they came to Jericho, and, and, and Rahab hid them right from uh, those who would se- were seeking their lives, and then they escaped, and Rahab said, remember me, and, and the Lord did and protected her, and then it seems that they got married they had a son so 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 Boaz is the son of a Canaanite and he is in the line of Judah that's pretty awesome that's an incredible lineage to have in view Rahab certainly as one of the women in the Matthew 1 lineage of Jesus so interesting details to note in here uh Boaz would have grown up with a a healthy care for and and, and embracing of what God can do for foreigners, right? God is not prejudiced. He calls the nations to worship. And he has witnessed in his own mom a radical change through what happens when, when her conversion takes place. and She trusts the Lord. So we come back to this. He said, the Lord be with you. And the reapers, the, uh, the, the people working and gleaning, respond with, the Lord bless you. First words often reveal a lot about the character of the man. He comes out from Bethlehem where he is at home and, and he comes to his field and this is the first words from him. What can we discern about these? Well, one, he's a God-centered man. These are not the first words you say, when you go to the place of your employees and your workers and then the poor who are there as well and gleaning, if if you're not a God-centered man who has spent time with the Lord, you don't come out with this. His words, The Lord Yahweh, the great I Am, be with you. This is a word of, of blessing and encouragement for those who are in need. We also see that he is a kind-hearted man. His first words are words of blessing to those who are struggling and and having a tough time. A kind-hearted man. We're going to see more of this as it unfolds. He is a God-fearing man because guess what he's done? He's obeyed. He's obeyed when others have not. He has left the edges of his field for those in need. And he has refused to tell his workers to go back through the field, but to leave, some for those in need. We also see that he's a compassionate man. He's a man who has compassion. He's he's pronouncing the great I Am's blessing on those who are in a tough place. May God be with you. Their response shows. They know this. They say, may the Lord bless you, Boaz. May the Lord bless you for your kindness, for not harvesting all of this over here for for us to be able to come and have a little food. Then Boaz said to his young man, who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Now, I almost said it the wrong way. He didn't say, who is this woman? He said, whose young woman, is this? He's inquiring to know who is she working for? Is this someone's servant? Uh, She's unfamiliar. It's a new face in his field. The young servant responds, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please, Let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. A few things we learn about Ruth here. Ruth is no pushover. We've seen this already. Her tenacious faith to trust and follow and obey the Lord, to leave all that she has left, to come and and show such loyalty to Naomi. But here she is demonstrating An incredible amount of character this is the character of ruth when naomi is not working not going out to to help at least to lend a hand to give some some credibility to ruth she goes on her own anyway and she works hard Hmm. she's humble and respectful she doesn't come with entitlement she doesn't come with this hey listen buddy the lord commanded that I'm supposed to have some of this stuff. So where do you want me to go? Right? Because I get this. He said, I get to do this. Yeah, I'm a Moabite, but that's okay. Because God said that I have a right to glean in this field. That's not how she came. She didn't come with all this entitlement, demanding something. She came with the word, please. Interesting. Interesting. there's humility, there's, there's respect. There's, this is a question, not a demand. He could have just as easily said, no. No, move on down the line. She was given permission to glean in response to her humble request. I don't imagine all came the same way, but Ruth did. Hmm. And then she worked hard from early morning until now, except for a short rest, no entitlement, Hardworking, faithful, tenacious woman who has gone through tremendous amount of grief. She has lost her husband as well. Naomi lost a husband, but so did Ruth. She lost her husband and her father-in-law. How is Boaz going to respond? He, he becomes more than a provider now. He Becomes a protector. Listen to Boaz in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women or the, the workers there that Boaz had. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Incredible provision. Incredible protection now given. This was not without its dangers. A young foreigner in a field with workers could prove disastrous for Ruth. She comes now under the the canopy or the protection of Boaz. She can go and drink water as she is thirsty. Right there, because Boaz has had workers that have gone and drawn the water and brought it out to the field. Before, Ruth would have had to either just be really thirsty for a long period of time or go all the way back in and get water and then come out. When you return, how do you know where your your, your pile is? How do you leave that? It's an incredible provision and protection that Boaz pronounces. He wants her to stay in his field. Ruth is amazed by this grace. Listen to what she says in verse 10. She fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner, a Moabite? This, I believe, is exactly the response that we should have when we taste of the grace of God. Oh, it's not entitlement. It's not I deserve, or I achieved, or I have earned. It is, why me? Huh, me? Amazed by grace. The song rings out. Saved a wretch like me? with. I have no right to this. How is it that I have been blessed by your favor and your grace? Hmm. Boaz responds this. The blessing of Boaz. He said, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. That gives us a little more detail about Ruth's departure, right? She had a family. She had protection if she just would have stayed in Moab, but she chose to leave and go with Naomi. And then he says this, "...the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel." under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh, poetic. What incredible language that is. He pronounces a blessing, really a prayer, over Ruth as she's bowed down saying, how is it that you have been so kind? He says, God has been kind and may he continue to blow you away. He doesn't take credit. He doesn't stick on him. It's not his glory. It's to point to the Father, that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. May the Lord repay you. It's a God-honoring prayer. He doesn't puff himself up about something that he is doing. He is simply saying, this is God's gift. This is God's gift. And may he add to it. That's the reason. You have shown character. May God repay you. May God surprise you with his grace. Her response is verse 13. Then she said, If I have found favor uh, in your eyes, my Lord, I I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant though I am not one of your servants. Just pause here and ask yourself if you're Ruth. At least to this point, what, what words of kindness has Naomi spoken to her recently? Naomi is turned in. and She stands in the public square and says, the Lord brought me back empty, as Ruth stands right next to her. Uh... She's not with her, helping. She's, she's just overcome by grief and sorrow and despair. And she's inward. She's not outward and helping Ruth really along in this journey. And here's this stranger who blesses her, provides for her, protects her, and gives her water to drink. And then he, he commends her for her faith and her courage and her steadfast love and she was blown away, now she is just incredibly amazed that God would love her this way, that she would be dealt with so kindly, assuming that she would be dealt with harshly because she's a Moabite and a widow in need. To say it was unexpected (laughs) is an understatement. This, in fact, is no ordinary day. And I think Ruth is beginning to realize something is happening here. Something is happening. A worthy man meets a noble woman. Young men, when you meet a woman who has this kind of character, take notice. Take notice. Look for a noble woman who has this kind of character. And young ladies, be patient for and wait tenaciously to find a, a worthy man, a godly man. It can take some time to discern these things. Godly character is on display in both of these. They're, they're on display in so many different ways can't be overstated. God's perfect providence. I just want to draw our attention back to this as we uh close this morning. God's perfect providence. You think of all of the things that had to line up that that this would happen. Who did that? God did. Who brought her back when everyone else would say that's not going to happen? God did. Who who brought her to the field of of Boaz when no one would have expected that? God did that who just so happened to time it perfectly that Boaz would actually visit that field and bless those people and that they would have that first meeting, that first date. God did that. That's how he rolls. He has perfect providence. Always. Everything according to plan. We studied together In our men's and women's studies through Romans 8 this past week, oh, spectacular verses. God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. All things together for what? For good, the good of those who love Him. Doesn't mean that all things are good, but He works all things together for good what is that good? Christ likeness. Holiness. That we would be more like Jesus, more reflecting the true character of God in our lives. No chance, no randomness. Every single detail according to plan. That means that your story God is the author. He he writes the story. And sometimes he writes in pain and in blood and in darkness and in heartache. But friend, he is bringing about the best story he could ever tell for your life. And we might not see that this side of heaven. We might not see. Some have been martyred for their faith. I mean, you read through the the hall of faith in Hebrews. Some have only experienced darkness To meet with eternal light. And that is the story he wrote. Every single detail. So our response this morning, just three three categories for us to consider. The first is this: no randomness and no chance. We live in a world where a predominant worldview is that all of this just with enough time just happened. Just it's just random. There really is no purpose, no meaning. And if you get into then the the question of ethics, if you're honest with that kind of logic, those don't really matter either. We shouldn't be surprised with things that are horrific, that, that challenge our reality, like school shootings, when we propagate this poison worldview. There is meaning. It's not random. We're not just Highly evolved clumps of slime. We are men and women made in the image of God with intrinsic value as God's creation. His image, His handiwork, His story. He has the pen that writes the story of your life. And by the way, He's already written the final chapter. He's he's written it all. It's all finished already. He's not bound by time like we are. The end of Romans 8 uses past tense words to describe His salvation work. It is as good as done in the mind of God. Incredible. Second, the value of God reflecting character. Just call us to this. Young people in school, Anyone at work, and in, in a context where this can be tested and, and and tried. In the neighborhood. In all kinds of circumstances, you never know when God honoring character is going to be the appointed means of spectacular results. It was just an ordinary day. Boaz had no clue that this would be the day that would bring his lineage into the wedding of Ruth and be writing the story as the great-grandfather of King David himself. And Jesus, he didn't know this. What might tomorrow hold as you walk in the fear of the Lord and shine His character and seek to be His agent in a broken world, one who speaks truth and love and life and forgiveness and joy and peace, what might he do? We don't know. But we do know that he does. And he has incredible plans to use us for his glory. Third, a heart for the hurting. We have in our church those who are widowed, widower, We have those who are hurting and sick, who are dealing with chronic pain. Every day is a battle. They wake up struggle through the day. By God's grace, they have a family here. That's us. Good shepherd, community, church. The people to care for them, to love them. Boaz-minded people who can say, what can I do today to bless? How can I help? What can I do to channel the love of God to you today? A heart for the hurting. Jesus is such an example of this to us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, We didn't even want help. And He said, I love you. I lay down my life for you to save you set you on the path of life. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would have hearts like this. Make us more like Boaz. Oh, God, help us to take the opportunities that you bring into our lives, to see like he saw, to have hearts that would overflow to those who are in need. I pray that we would not be uh, cold or calloused or, or even just blind to those opportunities to be Uh, your agents of love to those who are hurting, both inside these walls for those in our congregation and all those outside, whatever nationality they have. Oh, Father, I pray that there would never be any instinct that would put a wall up because of another color of skin or another background or anything that would prevent us from moving in love. We thank you for your heart, for the nations. Make it more our heart. And God, we give glory to you because it can never be said in our lives that just so happened. You are the great author of the story and you write these words for our stories with with a perfect view, an all-wise plan of old. Help us to trust you when it's difficult, to look to you like Ruth with a tenacious faith, and and watch you turn our story into something glorious day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.